Hey guys, this is Bill Manning and Stephen Wallace with Studio C41. We just wanted to reach out to you guys and let you know, hey, hit that subscribe button, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, all those outlets. On the uh, YouTubes. So it helps us out and, uh, you know, spread the word. Uh, yeah, rate us on iTunes, subscribe on there, you know, uh, share it with your friends, your enemies, whoever you want. And go out and shoot some film. Dang it. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Hey everybody, this is Studio C41 and this is Bill Manning and uh, boy, we got an exciting episode for you guys. Uh, first of all, uh, we have Steven. How's it going, Steven? It's going pretty well, man. How are you doing? Oh, doing pretty good, man. And uh, we also have John Schaefer who has hey, made his man. return. How's it going, man? I'm back, baby. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Hey, after being at Nashville for my first show, that which was like, I couldn't hide you top that. Right? But now, <laughs> man, I mean, you're this is even better. You're really not, John. We should honestly all call it a <laughs> Oh, wait, we have somebody on the phone with oh, us yeah. right now. Um, we have the Wright brothers. The Wright brothers? You mean the brothers right? Yeah, the brothers right? Yeah. Yes. That, that is right. <laughs> <laughs> unless, For, unless you guys dabble in aviation as well. Yeah, I was going to say, no airplane. <laughs> Uh, just bicycles. Okay, yeah, that works. <laughs> uh, these are the gentlemen who have started Cine Still Film, man. This is ex- absolutely exciting for all of us. I mean, we, we shoot the film. Um, we we were all Indiegogo backers. Uh, the second that it got announced for 120 I said, shut up and take my money. That's right. There you go. Take it. <laughs> so uh, we're going to go dive right in. We're going to learn about uh, the Cine Still history. Uh, I know you guys have it on the website and everything, but I, I think it'd be awesome to just talk about it as well and um, and just tell us about how you guys got started. Yeah, so yeah. Um, this is Brandon and and I'm Brian. Yeah, uh, we are brothers though. That's not made up. <laughs> it's not. It's not just a clever marketing ploy. Just like a catchy. No, it's not. I mean, yeah. it's clever, but well, unfortunately, <laughs> we're not that clever. Hey, it's so. all right. You you, you take <laughs> what you got and run with it. That is all right. So yeah, like Bill was yeah. saying, guys. Um, I guess just yeah, tell us about yourselves. How did you get into this whole thing? From uh, I guess even photography, film, and uh, the production of what we now know as cine still film. Skip through a lot of the beginning. Uh, we grew up together, and uh, we're uh, we all we're twin brothers, so we always were like in the same grades together, and always did a lot of the same activities together, and got into photography. Um, as kids and um, fell in love with it and started desiring to be uh, photographers um, and working together for years into actually being photographers and running uh, photography businesses and um, always stuck to film. Uh, we started off shooting film. Our father's Olympus OM-1 was our first camera. Yeah, and, like 1998. Yeah, and so we got really into working on film, worked at a professional photo lab, ended up ma- managing it. This is Brian here, um, working in the color dark room and just fell in love with all the different processes um, and cross processes, alternative processes, making, um, you know, coding your own emulsion, all that. Um, yeah. as creative ways to create images. Um, eventually through all that and our passion in different ways to create unique images, we, like would dismantle and rebuild cameras, um, adapt lenses and create uh, new ways to 
uh, shoot really fast lenses on four by five and building cameras from scratch or finding a hundred year old camera and refurbishing it. Yeah. I've seen uh, some wow. of the, uh, the Frankenstein like, uh, cameras you've yeah. taken, like some old, um, old yeah. Graflexes that put, uh, Graflex RBs, I think, and put like Aero Ektar lenses on them and stuff oh, like wow. that. Yeah. Really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. We actually have a, uh, SLR, uh, four by five SLR that with a Aero Ektar on it that we had to rebuild the whole curtain shutter on. Oh, dang. Wow. Yeah. I am so impressed. That, that's really yeah, it was made in 1909. So that was around that time. We also were shooting motion picture film, um, and noticed that when we shoot still photography and motion picture film in the same environment, that certain motion picture film, even though it was being ran at 24 frames per second um, on 16 millimeter or Super 8, the the way the images came back is was just couldn't be compared to the still images we were shooting, and mostly that was in low light. Um, incandescent light we did a bunch of wedding we did wedding photography up in la for a few years and had a super eight package and 16 millimeter that we would do alongside our still photography as well cool i was actually just going to ask so how did you guys make that transition like i guess you guys got familiar with the the motion picture stocks and then i guess is that where the idea came from as far as like bringing i would say that's the seed of the idea for Mm -hmm. ourselves because we didn't set out to actually provide um services or photographic materials or equipment for photographers that's not what our passion was originally um we wanted to create images and we still do um but at that time i only worked at a professional photo lab and was great like, grateful to use their darkroom equipment and stuff like that at that time in my life but we had moved past that and i swore to never work for photographers again because <laughs> <laughs> um, i know how picky they can be i'm one of them yeah exactly. um, and i didn't want to be in a service-based industry working or creatives. I wanted to be the creative. Um, That's cool. But um, through that process, we did discover that we wanted to see, well, we're shooting this at 150th of a second, and it looks amazing. What if we could shoot our like at 1/8th of a second? Yeah. Um, so we did experiment with that and work with Motion Picture Labs on experimenting how to run this in a camera. We found a, the best way to do it was in a bulk back Nikon. Um, that shot 250 exposures, so it was long enough to actually run through ECN2 equipment, which does the proper treatment of ECN2 film. Um, but it was it was very tedious. It was tedious. It was fun for us, but everyone yeah. who followed us online was like, "How do you do this?" And we explained it, and they said, "Oh." And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know a motion picture lab. I don't live in Hollywood, so like, I, don't I can't want, convince I don't, people to do this for me. Like, I don't really want to carry around a 12 and a half pound camera. So, cool. Or have to wait to go through 250 feet of film first, you know, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of and funny so, because ECN2 still to this very day is incredibly hard to find a lab to do it. And and I yeah. did find like a, a home kit that could, you could do it, but it was in Europe and they're like, yeah, we can't ship worldwide with this thing. I was like, wow. Uh, yeah. But I do know there, yeah. there's a couple places online that still do ECN2 and all that, but uh, it, it's true. It's very difficult to, uh, to yeah, well, find that. A lot of people don't realize ECN2 process is it's a totally different color developing agent and different chemical compound and different steps involved, but it's just as much of a mechanical process as it is a chemical process, which uh-huh. is why you need long yeah. lengths of film to go through every step of that process that's different than C41 to do it correctly and not have any uh, imperfections or contaminants. Yeah, I actually, uh, we have here in Atlanta, um, Kodak actually just recently took over or bought out a uh, local film lab, so they do a lot oh, of cool. uh, yeah. 
they do all the uh, production for like Walking Dead, a lot of pictures that are filmed here in town. They do the dailies on. Um, but yeah, we got a, I got a chance to go check it out and it's, you're right. It's massive. It's like the size of a couple of rooms. And for anybody who ever hasn't taken a look at that, it's, uh, you can't stop the machine. Once it starts running, there always has to be something going through there. So, uh, yeah, so it's really, they, they, I had no idea about it until they showed us. They always have to have a leader, something going through. They can't ever run it without something going through those rollers and the chemicals. So it's, it's just a massive, it doesn't. I even asked them about like, hey, can you uh, if I were to shoot a roll of this on stills, would you uh, be able to? He's like, yeah, we we're not going to run that through. We can't do a shoot. <laughs> yeah, because they won't staple it in. Because um, I know Walking Dead shot in sixteen, but let's say a feature was being run in thirty five, they wouldn't staple your, you know, couple foot long test uh, roll test roll through there because if it breaks in the middle, the whole thing needs to be threaded, and you just lost several scenes from a oh, wow. major yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, just because your little test roll was in there. Yeah. Um. And and your test roll would be half ruined on either end because it's so close to where they have to splice it. Right. Yeah. Dripping in contamination. Um. So yeah. Anyways, that's where we actually, just like our fans, wanted to shoot it in a smaller camera in our Leica. And in the basis first was thirty-five millimeter, and we uh, realized that we'd have to basically reverse engineer how the film had been made to make it so that it was able to be processed by hand in a rotary processor or at a uh, regular professional photo lab that you can drop off and mail into. And that was the, the real idea. Um, and mostly because we wanted to be able to do it on a small scale. Um, but we figured it was worth investing a lot more time and tens of thousands of feet of wasted film and uh, designing and building a prototype machine to do this if we thought that other people would be interested in something so simple to shoot motion picture film and just take it to the normal lab. And two years into that, not giving up, we finally figured it out and was able to do it without ruining all the film. Hey, good on you. So, I mean, the main difference, maybe we want to get into this right now, um, between motion picture film and still photography film that can be processed in C41 is motion picture film has an additional layer on the back called Remjet. And that layer itself is the problem. That is why you can't just take some 35 millimeter motion picture film and you know, off of a 1,000-foot can, go in the dark, hand roll it into a canister, and drop it off at your lab. That black layer becomes a sludge in the chemicals and oh, yeah. contaminates the chemicals. Yeah, we. Uh, um, I worked in a lab for years uh, as well and um, actually still do some work here at a local lab where we record out of. And uh, we would get Seattle Filmworks back in oh, the day, yeah. which was, you know, it was re-rolled motion picture stock half the time. And mm-hmm. then it was just half the time regular C41 film. But we yeah. were always told, don't even, no, don't take it. If they don't want send it out, you know, turn them away because we don't want to risk ruining all our machines and our chemicals. See, Seattle Filmworks was like an interesting concept. I mean, because we're not the first ones to go, wow, motion picture film's cool. Um, but their concept had nothing to do with how cool the actual emulsions were. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, Hey, here's a film that nobody can process. Yep. We can give it away for free to people and they have to send it to us to process. So they, they get free film, they shoot it. And then we get to charge them twice as much as everybody else just to process it. Cause it'll ruin everyone else's chemistry. Yeah. And they had, they had a novel way of being able to process it, which was basically just taping them end to end to end to end. Um, and just it's a tedious workflow, but in the end, they even stopped doing that because you would get breaks and stuff when you have a splice every five feet in a long process like that. They break eventually, oh, yeah. wow. and you ruin hundreds of rolls of film. 
Um, but yeah, like their, their model was literally, let's make it difficult for people to shoot our film. Then we don't have to charge them for the film. We'll just charge it for processing where our concept was exactly the opposite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's make it easy to handle. Let's, let's let people have access to motion picture emulsions without having to worry about after the fact, like after you shoot it, you treat it like any other C41 film. Can you explain uh, what the purpose is of the Remjet layer and explain what anti-halation is? Yeah, well, the primary purpose of the Remjet layer, because there's different forms of anti-halation dyes in different types of films and even instant film and such. Um, the Remjet layer is a carbon backing. That's basic, it's basically carbon powder mixed with a a like glue uh, is the easiest way to explain it to somebody who doesn't understand, but makes it stick to the back of it. So it's mm-hmm. both sides of the film are coated. One side's light sensitive. The other side is this remjet layer and it's an opaque layer that's black. It blocks the light from getting in, which is handy for handling motion picture film and loading it into the camera. So light won't go through all the different layers of film and ruin your entire can. Just one loop. That's why you see the flash in cuts for like super eight and 16 uh, home video footage. That's just the daylight loading. Um, so it helps protect for that. It also is anti-static for moving through the motion picture cameras at a very fast rate and dragging across the uh-huh. uh, film plane. It's um, carbon; it, it dissipates uh, static electricity, so it yeah, helps. Remjet's like that. the most efficient anti-static available. Yeah, um, but obviously, there's a reason they don't use it in most films because it's a mess to get off the film. Yeah, <laughs> Once yeah. Get exactly. Yeah, um, um, but then the third uh, thing is. It, it's on the back of the acetate, so as the light goes through all the light-sensitive layers, it keeps traveling. Um, if it's bright enough, it hits the back of the acetate, and just like an uncoated lens, it reflects backwards, and that's called halation. And it's a glow, glow around the overexposed parts of the film, usually bright like points spot of points of light that are well over the, uh, um, the maximum uh, ideal exposure for white. Um, and it will just halo and glow. That's what I call it, halation. Ah, okay, cool. So, uh, so yeah, I've seen it like uh, in some of the shots that Steven took, like around Christmas lights and stuff like that. You get that yep. red glow that comes oh, yeah. around the Christmas lights and stuff like that. Yeah, even so. like just like I did uh, when I got the test rolls from the uh, the Indiegogo, just did some stuff with the cityscape and things. And it actually ended up being really cool. Like the entire like yeah. skyline had this weird otherworldly glow around it. Oh, yeah. I remember one of our first sample images that when we launched the Cinestill website was here in Hollywood, um, shot of the W, right? Of this huge construction site with like Christmas lights on it and stuff. And it, it was like, it had like these points of light that were all glowing. It's just so majestical. That's a word, right? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, right. It is now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this, is gonna, this is gonna be on the internet. That's so right. everything we say That's is right. now fact. Yes. Uh, did you guys know like C41? Like when you were going through the process, like I remember seeing one of your very early posts, like at the end of 2012, where uh-huh. um, you said this is the difference between uh, this film processed in ECN2 and then this film processed in C41. Um, and it, to me, it seemed like the differences, like one seemed a little bit more contrasty. And then I did see a little bit of the halation in, in some of the more overexposed areas. Um, yeah. I, I guess how did you guys go let's try this in c41 or in like cross process it we process motion picture film in any possible chemical there guys yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it's mostly our process of i mean pretty much everything our creative process for photography our process for inventing and you know developing our company is literally just trial and error it's we we definitely love have an understanding of what's going on mm-hmm. um but we're definitely our method is just jump in there get your hands dirty and, and see what happens 
Um, so like the C41 thing, first thing we ever did is we literally tried hand processing it in C41 chemicals mm-hmm. well, before we developed Cinecil, when the Remjet was still on the film. Created a lot of problems because you would end up getting all these white specks on your image because the, the uh, backing yeah. would become like a tar and it would float around in the chemicals. Mm-hmm. Your images would be under-processed because as the Remjet comes off the back of the film and the developer, it actually kills the developer. Yeah, the glue that holds the Remjet on is actually exhausts your chemicals. Oh, yeah, no so um, there's, there's more reasons than just the Remjet's hard to deal with why you can't just take motion picture foam and process it in C41 chemistry. Well, yeah, and also the motion picture labs, the first bath it goes into helps soften that, and then it's removed in a, um, more of a mechanical way with water. Um, and rinsed off before it's even developed. That pre-soak actually is an accelerant for um, development. For development. Yeah. So I mean, we did understand a lot of the stuff going into it. That the it's much like people who are more f- familiar with working in the darkroom with different black and white developers. Yeah. That produce different results, and you handle them differently and process with different times, and you get lower contrast or higher contrast. With color film, that's a little bit more difficult because you're not working with variable contrast printing. Um, in other words, um, you create a negative. Um, that is full color negative, you go to print it, you're going from a negative onto a paper that is also a negative, it creates a positive. If the contrast is too low on one of those mediums, you have a really flat and ugly image. And actually, people used to do this with ECN2 film, like from Seattle Filmworks, and they'd try to print it in the darkroom and it looked like flat garbage. <laughs> because um, that, that ECN2 processor, that, that, that developer that's in the ECN2 processing, actually creates a negative a curve that is compatible with print film and not gotcha. compatible with the emulsion on color paper. So it's not just this this haphazard thing like any film can do anything. I mean, these films were painstakingly engineered with a purpose in mind. Yeah, well, actually, any film can do anything, but the chemicals were also painstakingly engineered to work with that process for the end output. Yeah. Does that make sense? So oh, yeah, still yeah. photography, the films, yeah. are, the films and the chemicals are key because your developer is actually what controls your contrast. Yeah, it's like um, a complete package. Yeah. So if you took portrait and processed it in ECN2 developing agent and then tried to print that in the darkroom, it would look really flat. But it would look good on print film. But it would look good on motion picture print film. Interesting. That's... Yeah. Uh, I've learned something here today, guys. <laughs> we, we joke around. We call Stephen the know-it-all. Clearly, he does not know it all. I've told you guys I don't. I just know a bunch of random crap. If you find my keys, let me know. <laughs> As a result of uh, exploring these uh, different film stocks and the chemicals and everything, you guys ended up coming up with uh, a few... Uh, film stocks of your own. Uh, which one are those for for the listeners? So the film stocks that we have are the uh, the first one was 800T because that's the one we wanted most, um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of been the trend with our company. If we feel we found if we want something and we can make it happen, it's worthwhile because other people probably want it as well. Um, and so the 800T was based on a tungsten film stock made for motion picture, one of the most popular motion picture stocks ever. Um, which is originally an EI 500 film, but like I said, the C41 chemicals make it boost the gamma a little bit, so they actually rates at 800. Um, and so it's good for shooting in tungsten light or even daylight as well with a cool blue cast uh, before color corrected. Um, and it's excellent for for low light and um, creative processes yeah. to get unique looking images. So that's where we started, and then we decided to also use our other favorite motion picture film emulsion which was uh 
50 Daylight film. And it's just the world's finest grain film with beautiful colors, um, really neutral skin tones. And, um, we felt that that was something that also stood out as very unique. Yeah. And more recently, um, we have now added to our catalog Double X, which is film code 5222 for all the motion picture and motion lovers out there. Um, <laughs> it's basically it's like a cousin to Tri-X. It's a 250 speed black and white classic film emulsion. And so that's something that we added to the catalog at the end of last year. Um, we did some limited releases a couple of years ago just to kind of see what people thought about it. Um, it's a very hard film to source. You don't see a ton of motion picture features, TV shows being shot in black and white film. But Kodak still makes it as a legacy product. So therefore it has a high price tag and it's just hard to find. Like they don't, they only make it once a year. Um, they don't have a ton of stock. Oh, wow. you're not ordering, if you're not ordering a whole bunch, it's kind of impossible to get. Unless you got a friend who like happened to do a short film in black and white, and he's got like some extra, okay. some extra, some extra strips of film. But that's not enough to actually make it available to people. So the limited releases were like kind of test marketing it. Um, but now we have it readily available, and it's selling pretty well. Um, I love it. Tracks is one of my favorite all-time emulsions. So Dublux, something just a little bit finer grain, but still the same classic look. Oh, I mean, it's, it's got something a, we wanted. So. I love that film. It's got a just fantastic contrast yeah. to it. That's really, really nice. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, we. Uh, I actually uh, shot a roll of it when we were in Nashville for Imaging USA. Um, nice. Uh, I threw a roll in there and uh, just went around and just shot it. I think I metered it at like around two hundred, but some people have said no, yeah. meter it at what it is. You know that that's a kind of more of a preference for each individual, but. Um, yeah. I, I have to say I was thoroughly impressed with um, – and I'm a, I'm a medium format uh, and large format junkie. Um, so I liked the grain to completely disappear. But, you know, so I don't, I don't really shoot that much on 35 millimeter. But when I did shoot it in my little X700, um, I, I was like, man, the tonalities on this are just – amazing and uh i was yeah. talking to michael yeah. and uh he owns dunwoody photo um and he was like do you know what movie double x was shot on and i said no and he said schindler's list mm -hmm. and then i was like oh my gosh yep. and i went back and watched it and That's i was that like look. oh my gosh and, yeah. and it was that look uh on, on some of my shots For i sure. was totally blown away and it's got a grain the graininess to it it's a it can be grainy but it's such a I don't know. The grain just adds to it. It's not like it distracts. Exactly. It's that really, yeah. like you guys are saying, that's that classic. It's not very aggressive. It's a nice texture. Yeah, yeah. but it adds a texture. It makes it's you like, feel. It's like, yeah, it's a good texture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely it lends more like like a, like a wood grain as opposed to like noisy. Yeah. Like some some black and white foam get just look noisy. Yeah, yeah, yeah but this like is... the grain really contours to the shape of the. Yeah, it's it's really pleasantly well. analog. It really, really is. It is. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's uh, let's get back to the story. So you you guys get um, mm -hmm. uh, these different emulsions. So you guys started off with a thirty five millimeter um, in the eight hundred T and the fifty D, um, and then you yeah. guys started getting. I guess people asking, well, when are you going to do medium format? I guess <laughs> right. Yeah. So how did that all uh -huh. happen? From if you guys want to get into this too, because I think there's there's definitely been you know floating around in forums and stuff for a long time. It's like oh well, they're just taking the bulk rolls and then you know, cutting them and loading them themselves. That's, that's all there is to it. But I, I, I've, yeah. from, from what I've read and just being <laughs> in on the, uh, the backer process, there's, there's a bit more that you guys have built up as far as the actual production of this stuff. So anything you want to go into, please go yeah. for it. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So 
even before uh, we knew that we would have a a branded film stock that we could sell in like camera shops around the world, we were figuring out how to just make this concept a reality and see if it worked, see if it looked good, and see if I would shoot it. Immediately, I wanted to shoot medium format as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, these and people fell in love with the 35, and I said, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've always <laughs> Let won. me work on that. We've it's always wanted to. I think we've probably asked each other, like, before the Indiegogo campaign, it was like a weekly conversation. So how are we going to do this medium format? <laughs> right. Yeah, so at first, our first uh, testing of it um, was from IMAX, or 65 millimeter film, but um, a lot of people would relate more to the term IMAX, um, which is close to the size of medium format film. Yeah. It's 65 millimeters and it has perforation holes just like 35 on either side of film. Um, it's uh, not 70, um, which is a misconception. That's the print format. And the only reason it's 70 is it's Sound. the same perforation yeah. hole distance separation, but the print film 70 because it allows a space for an, a sound stripping yeah, on okay. the edge. Gotcha. Um, so that's just the presentation format. So it's 65 millimeters, but 120 film is actually 61 and a half. So if you cut the 65 millimeters and slit it with a razor blade, um, <laughs> on one side, you'll have a razor blade going through a bunch of perforation holes. Or you slit on either, either side, side slitting <laughs> off a hair of film, a little more than a hair. Um, and Then it might fit in your community. Then it might not go through. It barely <laughs> doesn't go through the perforation holes. And now you have a prototype process to beta test this and that's what we started with was just uh, yeah if you go to the indiegogo campaign and look at the sample images a lot of them have perforation holes in the medium format images oh, cool. those are hand slit in the pitch dark with razor blades wow <laughs> yes. and then Holy using moly. a small prototype process very meticulously removes the rem jet without contaminating the emulsion wow. and failed quite a few times I can um, imagine. and then yeah. some that people could test to see what the results were like um, knowing that we wanted to go full scale with this and knowing that um, we had figured out how to go full scale with it, we still had to have something we could present to people as yeah. this is what the film can look like. It turns out like the way forward for us ended up being basically what Cinecell has been from the beginning is like, we're not trying to reinvent the analog photography world. Mm-hmm. We're not here to try to like, you know, become the next big brand and take over. Like we're just here to kind of like lend a little insight and assist the companies that are already out there. We work a lot with other companies um, around the world for distributing our film and for um, sourcing materials and packaging, for example. Um, and so we had a relationship with Kodak and we found a way that we could get the film unslit. So no oh, preparation wow. just unslit and be able to work from that. Very, very expensive. It took actually years <laughs> mm-hmm. to finally get this arrangement and get a price and, and set up an account with them and talking to dozens of people with the company saying, Hmm, how can we do this? And so, but that ended up being our way forward is, is being able to go from the wider roles where we could make 120 from it or four by five or whatever size and we want. These, these wider roles you're talking about, these are like the giant, like coating, like cask yeah. size Ma- roles from yeah. the factory. Ma- like. Master roll, jumbo roll, wow. whatever you wish to call it. It's the, the uh, source format of how the film is coded. So they they do coat uh, a roll for us when we make it, and then that's just the beginning. Then we have we have to uh, we had to re-engineer our own process that was made for very small format, very precise 35 millimeter film with perforation holes without contaminating through to the emulsion, and scale that up completely different for working with the master roll size. Wow! Um, wow! And so we had to design all that and figure out how we were going to go about that before launching the campaign. 
I'm now my um, head's just kind of swimming here, guys, because I'm thinking of all the things that we kind of take for granted on film from <laughs> the. Yeah, uh, oh man! Oh jeez! Yeah. Like even just the frame numbers <laughs> being insane. printed on a roll. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, that makes I need more coffee. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, when when you guys were explaining, that, I'm like, um, you know, I probably would have been like, I was joking with. John earlier said, I probably am just going to go ahead and give up and look at interior design or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, guys, this is really a cool thing that you brought up because it, it really shows the identity of the craft person, right? The person yeah, who's, yeah. who's like, like we see so much of that today. And I think that's what's so neat that we're witnessing is it's beyond this resurgence of film. It covers so many different areas. We see so many people yeah. in, in craft beers and craft printing, even craft vinyl records, craft film like you guys are doing. Making yep. the sacrifice, making the time and effort, the sweat equity, but what that does, not just for your experience and all, but not just for the industry, but it does, like you talked about before, what it does for somebody else out there the, that, that is, is, is willing to, they hear you do this and they're like, wow, I, I would like to try that or I'd like to, I'm inspired to jump, right? I'm inspired to do something really cool, something really yeah. unique, something, something handmade, Right. And there's so much of that that is so cool today. Handmade surfboards, handmade canoes. There's this constant, there's this increasing economy of of things that are artisan and handmade and crafted. And that's, that's really, I think a really big, a big picture, a big story more than what it is that you guys are just selling. You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I mean, that is what we're completely all about. That's, we wanted to handcraft all our images in, in photography and somehow that got us down the rabbit hole of crafting our own film. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it makes total I mean, sense hearing you guys talk yeah. about it from even taking apart cameras and tinkering and that, that whole, uh, just the tactile kind of hands-on process from the beginning. Yeah. yeah it just, we want to create more options and uh, make things more accessible for photographers to be able to do things the way they want to hone their craft. And I feel like craft film is a big part of that with, without having um, a, a medium that has uh different ways of using it and interpreting it um you're stuck with ones and zeros and it's all about what you do afterwards but the process is what most so many people love about photography and just like painting or or you know playing music and mm-hmm. jamming in a band it's the process that really is what's enjoyable yeah that's the incredible uh thing that's that's the potential that lies in there isn't there that there's so many more opportunities to use more film and more film and more environments right for yeah. more, more purposes, right? Just because there's this, this, I think there's this huge, well, there's always been a, a human need to create and be creative, but uh-huh. the digital, I think has helped create an unmet human need to create and be creative. It seems like we've reached a yeah. limit on creativity with digital. Now film has, has not only just returned, but has just opened up. You guys are an example that opened up tremendous amount of new doors. Right. Oh, it's definitely, right? a, it's and that's definitely exciting. A, a renaissance. Yeah. It's yeah. Something that really always was there. It always is there. It's returned with a vengeance. People now have new ways of looking through and appreciating the analog processes because we are so familiar with the ease of digital and the precision of it. I think film's identity has become really defined today like as piece of cheap film because you want to take a picture. I need to get a picture of this. Oh, great. Grab a roll of Kodak at the drugstore. Yeah. Now it's like at a grocery store or wherever. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. now, Now you buy film because, no, I want to take a film photograph. And yeah. you choose your film based on the type and, of photograph. And it get. costs you something. It's not something yeah. that's just convenience. It's out it's of... Intentional, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I love Over. that you... I, I quote you guys all the time. I think it was maybe from either your Indiegogo or the Long Live Film documentary, one of them, where you guys are talking about how this is our renaissance. 
And yeah. that has like just stuck with me. That was like, I want to like just shout that from the rooftops that like, you know, yes, this is, this is not just something that hipsters do because they got it. You know, they think it's cool. Yeah. Right No, And I, I mean, I can resent that word hipster, but it's because yeah. there are a lot of our customers, but yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, Hey, I, I'm right but, there. I'm no, wearing skinny jeans right now. It's, so it's, you guys are fine. It's, yeah, it's, not, it's not just hipsters. It's people of that age that grew up with, not not just the ability to learn how to draw and with crayons. They drew, grew up with the ability to pull something out of their pocket and make a photograph. Yes. Photography isn't really a thing anymore that was a, somebody, a craft you have to learn. Yeah. Photography has become, to the younger generations, something that's as common as like just putting on your shoes. Oh, and I have my camera in my pocket. It's in my phone. Right. And the appeal to craft film and um, working with analog process or even outside the analog process, but even just getting very in depth into photography um, with different tools and having more tools at your disposal is that appeal is what separates it from this such a common commodity of just capturing an image. That's absolutely You're true. Actually, you, you just hit it right there. Yeah. It was, it was for how long decades where it was just common for the common people, right? Uh, photography, but, but now it's returning. I, I would say, I would argue to its proper place. Right where it's it's, yeah. it's back where it's supposed to be, and that is with not just your average ordinary Joe, but with these artists, with these creatives, with these people that want this hands-on tactile experience, and they want yeah. to have relationship with others. That's another thing too is that you know you guys as much as you see a lot of that happening today, where where relationship is now part of the of the model, the business model, like authors now are not just the relationship with the publisher and the and the bookstore, but now having a relationship with the readers. You yeah. guys now have this opportunity, right, and to have a relationship with these photographers and these other creatives and the vibe going back and forth, right? This, yeah. this community, you know, which is yeah. really, and it's great too, because that's, that's an awesome. example of real community, right? Which is in the definition yeah. of the word, we tend to misuse that word a lot. It, it means common unity, a, a unity of mind, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's powerful. Yeah. When you have a unity of mind, right, where people are just like, this is the same feel, the same vibe. We call it niche, but, but it's relationship-based, right? And that's, that's, yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. It, it, yeah, it, it definitely. I think there's an interesting parallel. Like, I mean, as far as film being in a place that it's always kind of meant to be now for photography, I totally agree. I mean, I think for a long time, still imaging was driven by it's a consumer product. It's a household product. Sure. Yeah. So right. Still still film in, imaging back from the 60s on until the 90s you know, in the early 2000s, it was all just about like making point and shoot cameras and disposables and, you know, one hour or 30 minute photo labs, which was not about quality. It was about cheapest price, get the picture done, get it done. And that's why they kind of lost to digital in the, in the 2000s. Digital kind of took over, but in motion picture by contrast, it's always been it's a about community. the quality. Yeah. Community, mm-hmm. yeah. If you think about it, motion picture films, when they're being designed and they're being fielded and a new emulsion's coming out, Kodak actually sends the emulsions to DPs and directors for testing. Yeah. Yeah. And they get their feedback on it. And it's like literally the, the artists who are very discerning about what kind of look they want or how they want to use it and how it can be improved. There's a direct connection between 
the manufacturer and the artist in, in the motion picture industry. And that's finally coming back to the still photography industry, too. That's very yeah. cool. It made me think about like there's um I forget which magazine. I know it's a trade publication for cinematographers, but every Kodak, they still might would sponsor mm-hmm. on like the back of every issue. There'd be a feature from Kodak about a cinematographer. So yeah. there was like that much of a symbiotic relationship. And um, yeah, I mean, John hit on it a little bit. And I'd love to just hear more from you guys about like the idea of of what the film photography and like the film shooters, this this community is actually like meant and how it's how how it's played a part in you guys actually getting traction and, and doing what you're doing now. Well, we wouldn't be here without the community. Um, yeah, we rely solely on the community for our existence. Uh, and when I say community, I do extend that much further out than just photographers or, um, you know, analog buffs who'd like working in the dark room. It's, it's Kodak, you know, it's smaller craft film companies like Adox or Boma. It's anything that still exists that has the ability to create these amazing tools. Um, and I think that this post, um, digital era where there's just the ability to coexist with uh, digital mediums and analog mediums like vinyl and mp3s and live streaming it it all will exist as long as the community exists mm-hmm. um but without the community you couldn't make enough okay. film to make a master roll of film and slit it down and package well, it I mean, for before us, it expires yeah, so us, you need the consumer but you need the supplier and you also need all these companies that we work with that are willing to work together yeah. to keep that community satisfied and not only satisfied, but also excited about the new film stocks, even if there's niche film stocks. Um, because with the more excitement comes more users and more people loving the process and more appeal to the process. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's why Indiegogo was just such a great fit for us launching the medium format. Um, also partially because we are a grassroots company in general, but... Mm-hmm it allowed people to participate and it proved that the, the industry or the, you know, the market for craft film and for our film cinema, cinema like is a very devoted market that really wants these things. It's not just, we're trying to like make something new that's gimmicky, like a <laughs> fidget, fidget spinner. The company manufacturing things just to sell something. I don't care about it. I want to make something I love. I want to make something other people love and, it needs to exist. Like that's what Indiegogo proved is no, I don't just want Sinistral. I do, but I, I want Sinistral <laughs> in the format. And these people also want it so much that they gave their money to support it and put their name on it and put their yeah, name on it. Totally. And, and I put the rest with us. I and love, like, I love yeah, that. It was a great that's, experience. That's we've, all, we've all got some skin in the game for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I know Bill's got a question. I think he wants to ask you guys too here, but yeah. just like even hearing from you guys that you were working photographers to begin with, it makes complete and utter sense why you kind of take things in this direction. I mean, who else better knows what you actually need when you're coming to like, sh- I shoot weddings as my living. And, you know, mm-hmm. how many times have I wanted to shoot a film stock indoors with crappy lighting, but didn't have anything <laughs> available, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it used to be you had to go to black and white pretty much. Or oh, desaturated yeah. afterwards. Yeah. I mean, that was all you're left with. Or that I mean, would that be the time to begrudgingly break out the DSLR or whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny. It's, um, w- in one of our earlier episodes, um, and, and uh, we, we talked to the Japan camera hunter, uh, Bellamy Hunt, and yeah. he, he said that 2018 is going to be a great year for film. And I think it's awesome to see 
um, you know, Bellamy go in and say, you know, make that dive into film and yeah, yeah you guys definitely had pretty much, I would say were one of the earlier ones that were jumping into it first. Was there like a curve that you guys saw that said, Hey, you know, there's interest in this. Like, I guess was the decision um, to continue on with this. Like, did you guys instantly see uh, results when you start, you know, putting this into production? Um, yeah, for sure. We saw it. I mean, I, I, I believed in it for my own taste reasons that I loved film and loved working with it. And I didn't understand why so many people sold all their film gear and bought a 5d. (laughs) 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 That that was the era that I was working at the pro lab in the pro dark room. Hey, I was, I I was working in a camera store in that time too. I understand completely. Yeah. And I used to have to, no, no offense to soccer moms. I love soccer and I love moms, but the soccer moms (laughs) would come in and say, I got this camera at Costco. How do I use it? Yep. And you're like, we're a film lab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go buy a roll. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but I, it just was mind-boggling for me just because just, it was just the way my brain works. I stuck with film and I, I played with digital and dabbled with it and got really annoyed by it many, many, many times over because it, it, it kept getting better but still wasn't what I loved. Um, but yeah, but, I think- but we found like-minded people at times mm-hmm. and we saw that group growing for sure. Yeah, it, um, that's true because um, I think that goes for a lot of the photographers that have moved to film is that every single year you hear more megapixels, less noise, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, uh, high ISO and everything. And it becomes less of a wow. Like every single time Nikon opens mm-hmm. their mouth, I'm just kind of like, eh. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm That's more great, excited. Though. It's like, it's really good, but yeah, eh. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So like, I've talked about before on the podcast that like when I uh, quit working in a camera store, I've never been more excited to be ignorant about the latest model of DSLR that's out. <laughs> it's really, really nice to have that space in my brain back. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, uh, so Bellamy had coined it that 2018 is going to be a good year for film. And I was yeah. curious, do you guys have any, I don't know, maybe you can let us in on any little wink, wink, hint, hint on uh, anything that's going on in the Cinecell R&D department? Well, there's a few things we that we're definitely working on right now. <laughs> I'm he had to ask that question. Yeah, yeah. He had now, to R&D, ask that question. Like, what stage of R and D? Because I, yeah. I think we have we have tons of ideas. We have tons of ideas <laughs> work on. For hey, the rest of I just lives. remember now, seeing on things, the Indiegogo there were about like six different yeah. colors of film labels on there or something. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we did kind of hint at the the silver colored one that and most people are guessing what that is um but there's other things that are related to analog photography and film and just the workflow and accessibility of um photography and as a creative medium that we're interested in we have a couple projects we're working on that we're not at liberty to release yet but <laughs> no, that's if fine. You follow yeah, yeah. us you will find out about it soon okay cool awesome we're excited um, to hear i guess uh, the the question is like on uh Double X, you know, since it has yeah. been kind of popular and sustainable, is there any anything on the horizon that maybe being a, given access to the same like uncut bulk rolls to be able to do larger format productions of that? Or is that just, you know, totally based on maybe it'd be nice if it happens? You're on the, you're a, on the right track. It's a legacy product, like we mentioned <laughs> yeah, before. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's not as much of a mainstay where we can just tell them to just make it, just code another roll for us. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. They have a set... Um, 
yeah, I mean, not to go too much into the detail, it's totally possible. And it's something that we would have yeah. to plan for and we are trying to plan for. So cool. that's about as far as I can promise. So <laughs> have you guys, uh, we had uh, we had Tim Ryugo from Kodak on, who I know you guys have known yeah. for a while. And uh, Tim's oh, yeah. just oh, yeah. like, I think Tim's like the uncle everybody wishes yeah. they had growing up. He's just like, <laughs> yeah. I met him. I yeah, exactly. met my uncle. He yeah. shows up with like a bag full of film and is yeah. like, you're the yeah. best Santa ever, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But no, so like guys like that, that I, I was talking about it before, um, and I don't know how you guys would feel like growing up with this name Kodak, that how, it, what's it like now that you guys have this like close, like working relationship with freaking Kodak? Like how, how has that just been, have you been able to get your mind around that or like what, what's that like? It's awesome. It's amazing. The, <laughs> the people that are there, um, even we work in Rochester now, that's where we built our larger facility for producing. Uh, the medium format and larger formats. Um, We bump into people on the streets of Rochester who don't even work there anymore and are still like, you know, they've gotten over that the whole (laughs) not working there. And they just, they still love Kodak. Like it was a great company. It, uh, they did everything they could to take care of their people and, um, to change the world, um, for the better, to make, uh, photography, a outlet for everyday person rather than just the scientific, artists as yeah. it was before Kodak. Yeah. Um, and they kept with that vision all the way through and they even helped change the society for what it is and innovate digital technology. It's awesome. Um, awesome. they are, it's a miracle. They're still around. It's amazing. They're still around. I think it's, it's, they deserve to still be around even oh, in yeah. a smaller scale craft film, uh, like element, um, because they are responsible for what photography is today. And most people who work there think the same thing. And the people who still work there are amazing, like the best of the best. Yeah, they, so we love it. And it's amazing. And I do pinch myself every time I <laughs> talk about the good old days. Yeah, And it, I see the good old days are still ahead. Yeah, absolutely. That's, That's something true. that, um, and I'm sorry, guys, I know I keep, uh, I just keep coming with all these questions, but <laughs> um, something that I've been thinking about, and I think it's been on a lot of people's mind is that the people who have been there since the good old days, like in film production at Kodak and yeah. these, you know, oh, yeah. larger companies that they're, they're not getting any younger. Um, and how is that kind of, has that been in your guys' mind as far as like, we need a new generation of people who are not just shooting film, but who are making film and who want to see the, the whole back end of the process. And like, where, where's that yeah. come into things? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not at liberty to speak about like Kodak because I don't say like, oh sure yeah. much about what's going on there i do know that i've seen some new faces over in rochester <laughs> they're bringing on younger people um to work there that are excited um, that are very excited about film and they work at Kodak because they love film nice um and what's going on in the r&d departments over there i know last year they spent a ton of money on r&d for the um ectochrome and who mm. knows what else other yeah. materials so I, I feel like Kodak is actually looking forward to that, and I I have I believe that there's more than just the good old guys that are have all that infinite knowledge in their heads, but more people who are being trained to come up. And I think Kodak will be around for fifty more years. But besides that, like I think there's I we know like many other companies throughout the world who make analog film and work with other companies to make analog film. I mean Kodak has the ability to do pretty much everything on their own, but there's a dozen other companies throughout the world that they're making film like adox for example and they're they're making film with other companies and oh, yeah. sharing information and sharing and figure out new ways to yeah. do it totally to yeah that's stuff. like um silbera i backed them and yeah. they yeah. just were <laughs> releasing that they reached an agreement with foma that foma is going to yep. basically like 
package all of their film for them. So, I mean, like, mm-hmm. how cool is that? That it's sharing, That's awesome. It's sharing yeah. resources for a commodity that used to be a junk drawer household item. In order mm-hmm. to make it work, you kind of everyone needs each other. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's really it, it's really exciting, but it's also kind of sad at the same time. And, and this has been kind of uh, something that I've been focusing on a little bit more um, is the, the gap in knowledge. Right. So right at mm-hmm. the end of the 90s, um, you know, digital had taken over and mm-hmm. um, and we just got sucked into this, you know, this digital camera and all that stuff. And then we've forgotten film. And this younger generation, you know, you have the generations where they pass down knowledge down to the next person. And this particular, I think there's this break in um, transferring that knowledge. You know, you have the experienced shooters, you have the experienced craftsmen that made this film. And then it's so satisfying to hear that Kodak is actually making an effort and bringing in a younger generation that has this newfound love for film. And uh, and keeping that alive. But at the same time, it's so heartbreaking to see that so much has to be retaught. Uh, yeah. Because um, and that's was, just a short span of 15 years. You know, it's 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 mind blowing. Polaroid is a prime, Polaroid's a prime example of that. Yeah. yeah. The lost knowledge. Yeah. I would say oh, that. Yeah, geez, yeah. Polaroid is a better example. Yeah. Kodak hasn't lost the knowledge. Um, they survived. I mean. That they, those are the exact two opposites of how a company True. was able yeah. to go through that shrinking pain, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. um, and manage that so that they will be around for a lot longer. Um, yeah. Where Polaroid bailed, that technology is gone. It's going to have to get reinvented from the floor up. Um, but but that's happened. Impossible's kind of preserved some of it, but mm-hmm. some of it's still gone, and it's going to have to come back. I really believe it can come back. Um, mm-hmm. Just because something goes um, goes away, to, especially with technology. It, technology shouldn't do away with physical things. It should just make it easier, actually. And I'm sure. terrified that you know Fujifilm is going to learn some hard mistakes um, down down the road when they just you know because next month uh, is March, you know, and and a whole bunch of different emulsions are going away, you know, and it, it's heartbreaking yeah. to That's see the, that. I mean, you're gonna have to talk to Bellamy about that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> You did not mince I'm, words I'm about Fuji not film. Yeah. Mindset that uh, um, the then the world is not nigh. <laughs> I, I think that uh, yeah. things tend to stick around if people want them and support them yeah. and demand them. And I see nothing but support and demand for film. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It has been a pretty stark contrast just to see how, like, you know, you guys, Kodak, these, you know, small craft filmmakers that are out there, how, like you were saying, the community of the manufacturing, not just the film shooting has come together, but unfortunately it, it has been a pretty big contrast with Fuji kind of rejecting that, um, which is, that's just what I kind of made me think of. And uh, that's it. We can move on to, you know, more positive topics than them. Here's a good topic and it's a positive one. <laughs> so I spoke with Ash and she, she's awesome, by the way. Uh, you, she, Ash, if you're there, hi, you, you're awesome. <laughs> So we talked about uh, doing a little giveaway and uh, um, and so uh, you guys have talked about doing some uh, five rolls of 800 T to uh, a lucky winner. Um, that is absolutely amazing that you guys want to do that. I mean, yeah. 
it, it, it's it's a small contribution to the film community, but it, you know it generates so much excitement. It speaks volumes. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, it does. So much return on your investment. Yeah. So I mean, if I yeah. if I could throw in my my hat into the competition, yeah. it's like my crack <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> yeah. right. Hey guys, I wanted to go ahead and pause this recording and just go ahead and announce the winner. Uh, first of all, before we announce it, I just wanted to go ahead and say thank you. Uh, on behalf of Cine Still and of Studio C41 uh, for participating in this uh, giveaway. Um, this will not be the only uh, giveaway. We are looking uh, to start a uh, monthly giveaway on our podcast on a pro pack of films. So more details on that when the next episode comes out. Let us not wait any longer. Uh, the winner is Jose Martinez uh, with the Instagram handle j05u3 underscore underscore congratulations jose and uh cinesil will reach out to you um through a direct message uh to uh, go ahead and get that info to you uh so again Thank you for participating, uh, everybody. Uh, there will be more giveaways. Uh, so follow us, uh, spread the word about us, and uh, shoot some film dang it. Gentlemen, thank you so much for participating in this. Mm. It yeah. really speaks yeah. volumes to the community. Well, thank, thank you for reaching out, and we're glad we were able to make time to, to have this conversation. Yeah, it's great. Okay. I really enjoyed it. I mean, kept us going. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> really guys. good questions. Well, yeah. hey, keep good. it up. Well, yeah, absolutely. That's, well, I know we are probably running short on time here, but uh, we want to make sure to keep you guys, uh, you know, value your time. But uh, is there anything yeah. that you would like to, uh, you know, plug or promote coming up from you guys? Anything that you can make public or wanna <laughs> wanna talk about? I know, you know, there's uh, is there any kind of like events coming up that you guys are going to be a part of, or you know, anything at all you want to throw out there? I mean, I think 2018 is going to be a big year for film, <laughs> especially Cinestill film. Um, as far as in immediate plans in the next month or two, we don't have anything public yet right now. Um, we're actually working on ramping up production and making a lot of film. Awesome. Um, nice. So we're currently sold out of our 50D and 35 on our web store for the next week or so. Nice. So we're li literally, we're always playing that game. Um, but <laughs> if you want to stay con in connection with us, follow us on Instagram at Cinestill Film. Um, we're also on Twitter and Facebook. You can look at us up there. Um, and yeah, we'll definitely be at Photokina this year in Germany. Oh, nice. Cool. Oh, nice. So we'll be able to talk a lot more about yeah. some other stuff by then, hopefully. Like, we, need to, we need to figure out a field trip to get to Germany for that. Though. Totally. That's a lot of coffee oh, yeah. mugs. Yeah, yeah right? right? Exactly. <laughs> Come to Photokina. So we uh, are trying to start a thing where we're going to try to do a sign-off. Um, and I was wondering if you guys could sign us off with uh, shoot some film, dang it. That's become our catchphrase. So Shoot some film, dang it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. Awesome. Thank you, Thank you guys. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. <laughs>